<laughs> Good morning. What better song indicates to us it's the end of the year? Yes, your old acquaintance has been forgot. We're piping out the old year and we're piping in the new. It's great, isn't it? And I think at this time of the year, it's time to look back and to look forward with joy, excitement, good memories, and I'm sorry to say, bad and sad as well. What a huge day this can be of remembering and anticipating. And I dare say a lot of people are doing that too. Was it Mike, skinny Mike, that mentioned we should be looking back at last year's good intentions or resolutions or something? <laughs> ah, dear, 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 yes. But from Ecclesiastes 3, all the seasons mentioned there can and probably will be experienced in just one year. All of those different seasons experienced in just one year. This year that we're just leaving and next year that's to come. There's a time to be born and a time to die, time to plant and a time to harvest, time to tear down and build up, time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and dance, embrace and turn away, to be quiet and to speak and for war and for peace. There's all these seasons and they do come in one year. So we're going through one year and we're coming into another one. So what's this year been like for you? For you? For me? Actually, for us here. Most of us are all bound up in the lives of others as well. Very few people stand alone. There are friends and close and distant uh, relatives and neighbours all around going about their lives, full of the same seasons, just in different ways. The relatives, numerous for some, are um, the ones who are close to us with blood ties. And then there's a closer circle, a circle of intimacy, with friends and uh, family. The ones we are bound, these are the ones we're bound to closely with deep love, respect and unity. Each one of them add colour and flavour to our life and their experiences are also ours, affecting us deeply with joy and with sorrow or just the continuity of our regular daily life. Let us take time right now to look back over this past year. This is a moment to do it. What are some of the seasons that we've been through this year? The joys? What's happened in your life? Did you get a new job? Or a new baby? If you're here and new baby here this morning, it's ours. <laughs> Up the back there. Um, did you go on a cruise? You can see what's on my bucket list, can't you? <laughs> Did you get a good result from your doctor? Or your school exams? Or university exams? Did you buy a new house? We did. Such a little phrase, buy a new house. What a huge thing it is to sell and to, to pack everything. Oh, it's huge. Anyway, we're finally in our new house and it's nice. And we're very pleased because it was built since the earthquake, so we feel very safe in that one. Did you climb a mountain? 
Did you fall in love and get married? One or the other or both. Have you had a pay rise that you really needed? That you really needed? Did you find a friendship in an unexpected place? And think of us here for a moment. Here we have a super new auditorium. And now while it was being built and while the time's gone by, I gradually got older and I thought, I don't think I'm ever going to speak up on that one. But God is good. They looked in the bottom of the barrel and they found me for today. <laughs> I'm it. <laughs> I felt like saying to John when he asked me, Am I fifth fiddle? How many fiddles have you already asked? <laughs> I would just make the most of it. <laughs> yes. We, one of the, some of the ministries in this uh, particular church have been truly blessed. And I'm part of the healing rooms, which is amazing. Now, the, the people that come to the healing rooms, it's confidential. It's their story. It's not my story. And even their names we don't um, speak around. But one story has been told, and it's the story of Judith. Judith. <laughs> Going to tell your story again. So Judith came one morning, and Judith had had, it's a few months ago, Judith had had a stroke down her right side, so her right hand wasn't working well. It was sit, just sitting, and she likes doing needlework. Um, but she couldn't. I mean, you've got, to hold, you've got to really hold things to do needlework. And uh, her speech wasn't great, and her right foot, I think it was, but it could have been her whole leg. So Judith came to the healing rooms for prayer. And some of us gathered around to pray for her, this lovely old lady, just sitting there with her. And I started praying for her hand. And... Um, we just prayed that God would move it, that she'd be able to use it, that it would become functional for her, because she needed it. And as we were praying, it, it started to move a bit, and we didn't know. But I had a stroke a few years ago, 1999, and I was paralysed down the left side. And one of the things I never thought I'd do again is this particular exercise, touching your thumb to the tip of your fingers. That was very difficult, and I thought, oh, I'll never get that, but actually God heals. And so I, that was the only exercise I could remember. So I said to Judith, do this, Judith, do this. You try doing it, just in your seat there. Try doing it. It actually takes some skill if, if you're paralysed. And, so, and I, we looked at Judith's hand, and Judith did this. She did it. And I said, hallelujah, say hallelujah, Judith. And Judith said, oh, that's right, her speech isn't too good either. <laughs> so we just left that one, and someone else there started praying for her leg and her foot, and um, that it would move. And next thing, Judith stood up, and she walked out into the room and walked back again, walked out into the room and walked back again without a stick. She was just walking. And she sat down with me there, and I looked into her face, and she said, Hallelujah. <laughs> we see answers to prayer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If it wasn't me. It's God and God alone. Isn't that fabulous? Well done, Judith. <laughs> I hope it's still all happening for her. So, yes, God is with us here at SABC in the healing rooms. Now, Simon's probably here. Prayer in the streets. That must have lots of stories, I'm sure. Um, the Connect Groups. The Golden Ministries, 
Jeanette and I and some others, we go and do the, the Golden Ministries, um, the foot clinic. But because we're nurses, we cut toenails. And while we're cutting toenails, people tell us stories, usually older people, and they tell us how it's all going. And I couldn't tell you how many times, every, every Wednesday for sure, every Wednesday we're there for sure, but often more than once through the Wednesday, we, we finish cutting the nails and we say, now would you like us to pray, me to pray for you for about so-and-so and so-and-so? And no one ever says no, because everybody wants to be prayed for. That's a very giving thing. And so even in the um, cutting toenails, we get to be able to pray for the people, which is really special. All the children's ministries, how that thrived, it's amazing. The Neighbourhood Trust, and on it goes, God is with us and has been with us throughout this year. For James and I, as we look forward, we, um, we move into a new house. There it is. Yes. It's almost our dream home. We don't have to do anything. <laughs> we don't have to do anything. It's really lovely. Well, we have to clean, but... Yes, so we moved into our new house. We also, we also, have been married 50 years this year. Yes, thank you, yes. And we've concluded it will probably last. <laughs> because James said to me quite recently, we couldn't afford to separate. <laughs> so here we are, hanging in there. But even better, we had a new grandson. Look at him. His name's Manaki, James, Ayatea, Hikaroa. Everything has meaning, and he's right here this morning. Here's Manaki. There he is. We call him Mana. Yes? But in fact, actually, we've got six grandchildren that we've enjoyed this year with. And there they are. So there's Noxie as well. We've never had him so good sitting up the back, have we? <laughs> and then we've got, the, um, we've got the Robertson grandchildren with our eldest daughter, and we've got the two little ones there, loving each other. So that's the good stuff that's happened for us this year. But wait, there are also bad times throughout a year. There are those seasons of tough times in a year. This day is an, an opportunity to look back and be still for a moment. A time to take a good long look at 2017 and then to put it to rest. That's a good thing to do. Take a good long look and put it to rest. So as the Bible says, there's also a seasonal downside. <clears throat> a time to pull down, a time to cry, a time to grieve to tear down, to war, to throw away. The downsides. Has this year had its downsides for you? Actually, it inevitably has. It, it has. There's a lot of days in a year and bad stuff happens. Whether it's for you or your close friends or your close family, stuff happens. Of course, these seasons, they do come around every year. What's the cost of living done to you this year? I'm not political, and no comment on that. I didn't? He doesn't know. You don't need to know, Noxie. Um, but has it squeezed your budget this year? Has Christmas left you in debt? 
I'm so sorry if it has. Never let that happen again. It's just one day, Jesus' birthday. Don't get into debt over Christmas. Have you suffered sickness, anxiety, heartaches, separations, or even divorce? Just pause and think for a moment. Just think for a moment. What's the worst thing that's happened this year? What is the bad stuff that's happened? Our family's been through seasons. My ancient aunt died. I think a lot of you, especially if you're on Facebook, will have heard of my ancient aunt, and there she is. But she wanted to go. What season was this? Was it a bad one? Well, it was, it was a bit tough on me. Because I was the closest to her, she got lots of nieces and nephews, but I was the one that hung out with her the most. And so because she was so old and things didn't quite go her way, I was the one that, that often carried it. So one of the last um, times I went to see her, the last time she spoke to me, um, she was lying in a hospital bed and she wasn't at all well. And she was saying, I want to see Annie. I want to see Annie. Annie's her sister who died about 15 years ago. And Joe said to me, you should have said you'll see her soon. And I should have. That would have been so positive. But I didn't think of that. I just said, would Elizabeth do? And she said, no, no, no. <laughs> oh, dear. No, we, we didn't always get on. I tried to please her, but it wasn't always possible when you're 94. And um, so she passed away. And a sad part of that is that in her passing, that generation of my parents have gone. And now, as my cousin said to me, we're the oldies, <laughs> because that generation's gone. So Auntie Amy passed away. And then at the beginning of the year... This is a hard one. Our beloved son-in-law, Tahu, was diagnosed with a grade four brain tumor. You don't get the grade five. It only goes to grade four. That's him. A time to cry, we cried that day. All of us together. He's since had surgery and radiation. You can see his head. He's a Maori guy, so that's not the usual colour of his head. And he's got a little zipper there on the top. Um, you must know, one of them there, he's playing football, obviously. He, he, didn't, he wasn't meant to play football. And unfortunately, his wife's here, so she's going to hear a bit of the story. So he wanted to play football, and um, he actually said to James, I could coach. What I could do is I could coach football. And uh, James thought that was pretty good, and he started taking him into football. And, and James is sitting there while they're having practice. And Tahu is showing them what to do. And he, um, just turn your radio up a bit there, Joey. And one night, one night... He headed the ball. Oh, he headed the ball, and James thought, don't do that, don't do that. And I'm sure his wife would have too. And um, 
Then afterwards, they, uh, he was showing them this manoeuvre again, how, you know, you send it across the goal and then you head it in. And he said, just send it across, and he did it a second time. And both times he got them into the goal. The third time he missed, and they said, oh, he's human after all. So he, that was but then this other photo here, Tahu delivered mana, mana in October. And this is just sort of the moments afterwards. You can see the small baby head there, Joe's lying down. And he's looking at his new son. Fabulous, isn't it? But he still has the evidence of the of a treatment upon him. And so he had a time to cry, and we all cried that day. And he's had the surgery, he's had the radiation, and his final round, we hope, but his final round of chemo starts tomorrow. So it could be all finished after this. He's brave and he's kind and he's good. And with our daughter Joe. They walk together in close tandem day and night. They're an amazing couple. They always were, but then this came as well. And we, along with many others, continue to pray for his healing. Tahu's the father of Knox, who's often here with me, doing what he calls dancing in the aisles. <laughs> and I, this is my one opportunity. I do hope that no one is offended by his enthusiasm. <laughs> He has a tendency to roll down the aisles as well, I've noticed. <laughs> and he runs up there, and I noticed the other night he ran down here as well. I don't know how you're doing it up there, Joe. How are you keeping him sitting? <laughs> Maybe we should start sitting up the back. <laughs> so that's uh, Noxie. And he's also the, fa the father of Mana, the baby in the previous photo. This is probably, and James and I have been through some really hard stuff over our lifetime, 50 years. We were both um, into the cult when we were in our teenage years. We married in there, had our children while we were in there, spent 30 years at least in there. So we've had really bad times, and then we came out and all of that. Um, it's amazing we're so normal, really, isn't it, James? Speak for yourself. Check on him later. Um, yes, we've been through bad times, but I think this with Tahu is the worst to come our way. And we carry it into next year as well. Next year. And it's a bit like Graham with Kara. We carry these things. The season doesn't come and go, but it's staying with us. And that's quite a big deal. You've got to learn to handle it. But we're praying that next year Kara will start talking. Yes, that is the one, yes. So there's good and bad in the seasons of life. And we're just completing one cycle, and tomorrow we start another. I was reading about Elijah, a man in the Bible, who most of us know in a confused sort of way. For example, how many times have you heard someone say, this was a man in the Bible that made the axe head float, or called down fire from heaven, or went to heaven in a chariot, or raise the widow's son, and then somebody will say, it was Elijah. And someone else will say, oh, maybe it was Elisha. So we know him in a kind of confused way, don't we? Elijah came first, and Elisha was his spiritual son. So I'd like to invite my husband of 50 years up to read the scriptures, please.
Elizabeth. Good morning. <coughs> our reading this morning is First uh, Kings, chapter seventeen. Now Elijah was from the, from Tishbe in Gilead, and he told King Ahab, "As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years." until I give the word. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go to the east and hide by Kerith Brook, near where it enters the, river, the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. So Elijah did as the Lord told him and camped beside Kerith Brook, east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. But after a while the brook dried up, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath, near the city of Sidon, and I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, Would you please bring me a little water in a cup? As she was going to get it, he called to her, Bring me a bite of bread too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house and I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I will die. But Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what, you said, what you've said, but make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So she did as Elijah said. And she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. And there was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. So there were many seasons that Elijah went through at that point in that story. He was a prophet who truly heard from God, and he heard... No rain. No rain means no harvest and eventually no food. How would that feel? How do you remember what it was like in Christchurch when there was no marmite? <laughs> I saw somebody, and I don't know that they're here this morning, pay $50 for a jar of marmite. I knew it was for missions, but really, <laughs> yes, no marmite. No food. <clears throat> However, Elijah was safe 
for as long as it lasted because he had received provision from God. And we can go safely into 2018 as God provides for us. Verse 5, So he camped beside the Kerith Brook, east of Jordan, and every morning and every night the ravens came, bringing him bread and meat, and he drank from the brook. What a great camping place, eh? Yes. Now, early in the 1940s, which actually isn't so far away if you're my age, early in the 1940s, the, Polish, the wife of the Polish ambassador to New Zealand uh, understood that there were a lot of displaced children in Poland. Poland had really, was really suffering already because of the war, and there were many children who had nowhere to go, no one to care for them. They were starving, they were neglected, they were having a bad time. And so this lady arranged with the New Zealand government and uh, other people that groups of these children from Poland would come to New Zealand in a boat, they get on, there were two trains provided in uh, Wellington, and they travelled up to Pahiatua, where there was a, a, a camp for them. And um, uh, let me see. What happened was they came in the boats, and the school children were given time off, and they were, they were sent to the various uh, railway stations along the way, and they had flags and they waved to the children, and it was meant to be welcoming. And so these children, and some of the children from the railway station were then put in the truck and taken to the next railway station so they could wave again, just so, they, so that these Polish children could feel welcome. They had a pretty bad time. And when they got to the camp, there was clean beds, there was toys, there was clothes, there was food. There was many helpers there who also spoke Polish, so that was very helpful. But these children had really suffered badly, and often they didn't have any parents, they'd seen things they shouldn't have seen, and they'd um, been starving and terribly neglected. And so when they saw the food on the table, especially the bread, they would um, hide it in their clothing or in their hands, they'd, they'd eat what they could at the table, and then they'd hide it among their person, and they'd go to a, a, back to their bed and they'd hide it there. Because they had a little slogan they said to each other, they said, there'll be no bread tomorrow. And they had this, there'll be no bread tomorrow, and they took bread, they took bread. And gradually, um, they weren't stopped from taking it, but gradually they were told, there will always be bread for you. There will always be food for you. You are going to be cared for. But they just had this, this depth of hurt in their heart was said to them, there'll be no bread tomorrow. And then as the children gradually began to trust and to get healthy and to feel good, some of them would walk out of the dining room holding their hands up. I'm not taking bread today <laughs> because there will be bread tomorrow. They gradually earned um, a feeling of, well, they didn't earn it, but uh, the workers earned the trust of the children. There will always be bread tomorrow. So that was a wonderful thing, wasn't it? And this is a plaque up at Pahia too, and they're still remembering it. Those children actually will be in their late 70s and 80s by now, the ones that are still alive. So um, they, they were going to go back to Poland. I'm wondering. They were going to go back to Poland at the end of the war, but all the boundaries of the different countries were altered, 
and uh, they never were sent back to Poland unless a parent was looking for them or something like that. Anyway, there won't be bread tomorrow, there will be bread tomorrow. How did Elijah feel? So the birds, you know, that first day he'd be looking, they're going to, the ravens, ravens are kind of just a bit bigger than starlings and blackbirds, aren't they? They're bigger birds, not very attractive. And I wonder if he looked and he, oh, look, oh my goodness. Now the bread was obviously bread, it was cooked. I don't know where they got it from. I wonder if the meat was cooked. I wonder if they had a variety of meat. I wonder what they did with the meat. I wonder if he said at first, oh, it might be a bit dirty. <laughs> but he ate the bread and he ate the meat, morning and night. Meat for breakfast, I don't know how that went. And, uh, and he drank from the brook, that was no problem. And he drank from the brook. Until one shocking day, it must have dawned on him that the brook seemed to be drying up. I see you. <laughs> we got a dancer. <laughs> uh, the brook seemed to be drying up. He'd probably been worried about the bread and he'd been worried about the meat, but now he probably hadn't thought much about the brook and it seemed to be drying up. And I wonder if he dug for it. You can dig for water, can't you? And I wonder if sometimes he thought, it can't be because God's with us and he told me to be here. And the brook was drying up. You can imagine how anxious he would be. And I wonder how thirsty he became before he actually acknowledged the water's gone. Because there's no rain, so the water, the water was gone. And then what would go through his mind? Just think for a moment, what would go through his mind? There's a number of things, but I can imagine he'd be thinking, God provided for me, so what have I done wrong? What have I done wrong? He doesn't love me anymore, I've done something wrong. Have you been through that season too? What have I done wrong? It was all going so well. If only it could have stayed that way. Now what shall I do? Is God still with me? And so our minds and our hearts descend into confusion without the hope that faith brings. Remember, always remember, there's an enemy to our soul. And when things are going well and we're eating the bread and we're eating the meat and we're drinking the water and everything's good, we have an enemy who doesn't want us to be happy. He doesn't want it to go well for us. He wants us to be worried. He wants us to be thinking God doesn't love us. That's what he wants. Take a close look, though. Had he done something wrong? He, he couldn't do much wrong. He was camping beside a brook. He was given the food. There was no one else there to argue with. You know that one that we've read about, uh, oh, somebody prayed in the morning and they said, Dear Lord, so far today, I haven't lied, I haven't cheated, I haven't hurt anybody, I haven't said anything wrong, I haven't done anything wrong, but soon I'm going to get up and I'm going to need your help. <laughs> soon I might have to leave this brook and I'm going to need your help. He hadn't done anything wrong, and when you feel the same, take a good long look. 
If you've done something wrong, you can put it right. God doesn't... Um, if so, God will show you if you've done something wrong, but he won't punish you. He just gives you a space to repent of it, put it right. Um, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confess and turn from it. But I think Pastor Graham's going to talk more about that next week, I suspect, when I saw his title. However, Elijah hadn't done anything wrong. He, had just, he was just ready for the next step, which was to help others as well. So he was going to survive. Now, what about other people? Look beyond yourself, Elijah. Elizabeth, put your name in there. If something needs changing... If the well runs dry, then someone else needs saving as well as you. Look beyond yourself. There are others who need help too. Let's remember this in 2018. When a season of doubt or confusion comes, look beyond yourself. Who else needs it? Who else needs it? And so the woman and her son who were about to die, that was the day they were going to start dying of starvation, were also saved, and her family, the scripture says, and they too believed what the man of God had said. Verse 14, God had said, There will always be flour and olive oil left in your container until the rain comes, and then maybe two months later the crops grow. So it was a long time. It was a long time. There will always be bread tomorrow. There will always be bread tomorrow. You'll never run out. Now, how does this apply? Well, Jesus declared himself to be the bread of life. Hallelujah. That's a good one. Declared himself to be the bread of life. With lives committed to him, there will always be bread tomorrow. He is always available in all situations. And in John 4, Jesus also said that he had food that they didn't know anything about him and his disciples were going um, through the wilderness, through a wilderness, towards another town, and he was very tired, and he was, they were all very hungry. So they left him sitting beside a well. Here's your water. Left him sitting beside a well, and they went into the town to buy food, and a, widow, and a, a, a woman came along who uh, needed a bit of help, and he talked to them. He talked to her, and they had a wonderful... You can read about it in John 4. They... They were, uh, had a great uh, conversation together, very revealing conversation together. And then um, when the disciples came back and they saw him talking to the woman, he sa they said, uh, what's going on here? And he said, I've got food to eat that you don't know anything about. Because doing the will of God is like food, was like food to his soul. And that's for us too. That was Elijah. And that's for us too. So he is the bread of life. Doing as well is sustenance for us. It's a wonderful thing. I, can, I see we can be fully equipped and sustained to go into 2018. We can do it. As we put to rest 2017, the grief, the joy, the chaos, the confusion, the ordinary. We can turn to face the future seasons, day by day by day, because there will always be bread tomorrow. Emmanuel, God with us. Let us all commit ourselves afresh to him. All of 2.17 left in his care. 2.18, 2.19, 2.20, 2.21, 2.22, 2.23, 2.24, 2.25, 2.26, 2.27, 2.28, 2.29, 2.30, 2.31, 2.32, 2.33, 2.34, 
given unto his mighty nail-pierced hands. And the scripture says, your name is written on the palm of his hands. Ourselves surrendered to be carried forward on his shoulders into the seasons the new year will bring. Please listen to these words and let them be engraved in your heart and even join in singing them. God will be with us all in 2018 to love us, to support us with sustaining power. Thank you. God bless.